Welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast, where it's all about educating and motivating creative pros and entrepreneurs from around the world with simple and easy to implement ideas. And of course, helping you create something awesome today. And now, welcome your host. He is the founder of Founder of Awesome Creator Academy, a YouTube educator, and the biggest Star Wars nerd you'll ever meet, Roberto Blake. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. This is your host, Roberto Blake, helping you create something awesome today. Welcome back. It's been a little while since we've done the podcast. Um, Thank you, everybody, for supporting and the people who showed up for the live version of the podcast. And also a big welcome back to all the audio listeners if you've been keeping up with the audio podcast. Now, a little bit of housekeeping and some updates. Uh, We're going to throw on some jams in the background from my lo-fi channel, my music channel, Zen Buster Music. And that is also copyright free music for creators and streamers. So be sure to check that out. And so enjoy that here in the background. Now today I wanna talk to you about uh, becoming a content creator. A lot of people I know have uh, been messaging me, they're getting started on their content creation journey and they seem to be kind of like still floundering or struggling or don't know uh you know what to do and uh i totally get that you know and it does you know it's it's one of those things that can feel very challenging when you just don't have a clue of where to start so let me begin with a a simple place one of the first things i feel that content creators should do is reframe their expectations around whatever it is you're doing, whether it's YouTube, TikTok, Twitch. Those are the main content platforms where people are trying to build audiences and grow. Instagram and Twitter become you know supplementary platforms to those main content platforms. And the big thing is, I feel like the TikTok generation especially, the TikTok generation especially, Uh, has the expectation of growing fast. And I really feel like um, that actually hurts a lot of content creators is those expectations. The reality is that for most content creators, growth uh, is slow and it should be because you have no idea what you're doing and you're learning as you go and you're learning as you grow. So I would focus on your numbers. Everyone's like, how many should I have in a month? How many should I have in a year? How long does it take to get to this milestone? How long does it take to get to that milestone? And here's the truth. Most of you that are content creators and you're starting out, most of you are doing this while you have a nine to five job, a school, you know, you're in school or you have a family, which means you're not even putting in the energy that it takes to You know, if you were a full-time student and you were trying to learn a profession and a skill, you'd be spending maybe as many as 20 hours in class and another 10 to 20 outside of class working on your assignments, learning your trade and your craft, especially in the first year. So you'd be doing that and you'd be doing that. And sometimes you'd be doing that while working a part-time job. That's what would be normal, right? So how are you going to learn the skills of being a content creator? producing and editing video, researching and writing scripts, headlines, titles, audience development, working with brands, learning a platform, learning analytics, 
learning how to market yourself. You've never done these things before, but you're going to somehow learn how to do them after uh, draining yourself, you know, with 40 hour a week shifts. And you're going to spend what, two hours after work, exhausted, trying to do it. And then hours on the weekend while being distracted and doing that part time, you, you end up putting in very unproductive time and energy into this. And then you're shocked when three or six months go by and you haven't managed to somehow manifest an audience. And then you feel like, well, I'm doing all the things. Well, you're not doing all the things because you haven't practiced. You, just because you did something doesn't mean you did it well. And there's no reason you would do it well when you haven't had any experience in any practice beforehand. And that might sound discouraging, but it's actually supposed to be the opposite. It shouldn't be sounding discouraging. It should be sounding realistic of why do you have these unrealistic expectations about your growth and the audience size you're supposed to have just because, oh, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. There's, you know, there's no reason for that. And by the way, people who are new, uh, not only to content creation, but new to this podcast, uh, these replays will be available. This will be available on the YouTube channel. Uh, on YouTube, you could just type in uh, the Roberto Blake podcast. You can also type in Roberto Blake into Spotify, Apple, and anywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can look it up by its actual podcast name, the Create Something Awesome Today podcast, which is you know, also the name of my upcoming uh, book. I have my first book coming out, which is called uh, Create Something Awesome, How Content Creators Are Profiting from Their Passion. You can pre-order that in Amazon. The release date is August 22nd, but you can pre-order it in Amazon now if you want to support what I'm doing uh, with the book. But going back to uh, you know content creation, the, the first year of anything you're doing as a content creator should be a learning experience more than you expecting to grow. You don't know what you don't know. You have to learn to grow and you have to spend time actually developing your skills because an audience is going to want quality content. And there's no reason why in year one, you should be able to make con quality content. Uh, the creators who do that, it's not their first rodeo. They only look like overnight successes, but there's rarely anybody on YouTube who is a true overnight success. They had uh, tried it before when they were younger they had experience with camera gear. I mean, if you want to look at somebody who seemed to blow up out of nowhere very quickly, you could look at Eric, Eric Decker, Eric, who gained like a million in a year. But he already was a wedding filmmaker and cinematographer, and he was already familiar with YouTube. So not really like compared to a lot of you, a lot of you have not spent years doing a wedding filmmaking business, doing wedding filmmaking and photography. You guys don't have two or three employees you can borrow from payroll to help you with your YouTube dreams wh while also having, you know, uh, being able to put yourself on payroll, you know, take $75,000 and say, okay, I've got some runway and I'm going to go and spend a year trying to grow a YouTube channel and trying to blow up. You don't have those advantages. And I'm not by any means calling uh, Eric privileged. I'm saying he worked very hard to build a business that could fund his YouTube journey. And he also gained experiences that overlap with a YouTube journey. And he worked very hard and proved that he knew how to sell, market himself, produce video, edit videos. So he already had everything it took to be a great content creator, except the free time. And he was able to subsidize his own free time as a business owner and entrepreneur. So that makes, you know, that makes a lot of sense that he'd be able to succeed in that endeavor to a degree that a regular 
a person that's not an entrepreneur, you know, a working class person, a student, somebody without resources is not going to be able to duplicate that success. Now, a lot of people will ask me questions and they'll say, hey, Roberto, like, uh, what cameras should I buy? What what should I do? Uh, and that's usually, that's a good place to start for a lot of people because they want to make quality content. A lot of it will have to do with your budget. Um, one of the more budget-friendly options is um, the cameras that I use for my side angles. So the angle that you're seeing right now is my left angle, and this is the Sony ZV-E10 with a 20 millimeter lens if you're watching the video podcast and not just listening to the audio. Um, that is my secondary camera. It's the one that's to my left and not straight on. That camera is about roughly $600, $700. The lens is about 200. And then if you want to get a good wireless microphone for it, you get Deity Wireless for about 160. That'd be a good place to start. And then uh, with wireless, no matter what you're doing or where you are, the audio is consistent, so it's not as hard to edit. And so for just about $1,000, if you get that and then you spend another $100, uh, $200, uh, maybe even $60 getting maybe something like an aperture light that you can mount on top of it or something like that. Or if you're going to be stationary, you spend 80 bucks, you get a ring light, something like that, or you get a Elgato Key Light Mini do one of those things it's about another 100 bucks so you for like 1200 dollars, you'd have a youtube setup and it could also be your live streaming setup and it would look like high quality youtubers that have thousands if not hundreds of thousands of subscribers because you'd have your very blurry background look uh you have great autofocus you have a flip screen you have good audio it can be used for vlogging streaming talking head anything you really need to do could be accomplished with that for the most part as long as you have enough light and you can you know like i said you could buy light for about 100 200 worth of lights and then you're you're pretty much competitive on a budget close to what every big YouTuber's setup looks like. Um, and it'd be a step up from your iPhone. The quality is higher. It makes you competitive from day one if you do that. Not everyone needs $1,000 to invest in their YouTube startup journey, but like, um, but 1,200 would make you competitive with the best of the best of the best right out the gate. Now, this is why I say that someone who has a photography background or is already using freelance photography, shooting weddings, doing wedding filmmaking, side hustling, taking uh, portraits for lawyers or for Instagram models, someone side hustling uh, has an advantage with because they have the camera, they're making money with the camera already, they can justify the expense, especially people who, you know, they go out. What a lot of YouTubers do is they'll spend um, $1,500 to $2,500. They'll do it on a credit card, usually an Amazon or an American Express or a PayPal credit card, and they'll finance their YouTube journey. Now, I'm not a fan of going into debt to do YouTube or content creation or Twitch or streaming, but a lot of people do it. But I will say that if someone is side hustling and they're doing videos for real estate agents, they're doing videos for their local small businesses, they're editing for another content creator. So they bought that thousand dollar laptop and they're editing for another content creator or another small business or they're doing gigs on Fiverr. That's how they justify it. They finance it and they pay it down. That's the secret. And what it does is they have good equipment that they're going to be using for the first two to three years of their career. So this expense is spread out over two to three years. They they pay it down a little by little on their credit card 
and they do it not with the money they're making off their AdSense or off of their Twitch stream right away because they're not making money right away. They do it by freelance hustling with that same gear. So just understand that that's how people are financing their YouTube journey. And it makes sense from the position of, well, what would you have to do if you were starting a career um, in the workforce and you were, you know, you had to do, you had to buy the tools of your trade, or if you were in college, you take out Pell Grant or student loan money and you have to buy tools and materials and things when you take out your student loans be, and you have to get supplies. When I was a graphic designer, I had to get an X-Acto knife, radiography pens, a cutting board, um, these other tools, a T-square. Um, you know, there were a lot of things I had to buy. And in my case, I didn't take out scholar. I didn't have a scholarship. I didn't do Pell Grant and I didn't have student loans. I, so I worked at the mall and I had to pay for all those things, uh, you know, cash. And so that's what I did. Um, so it's very similar. It's very similar. And I know it doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound accessible, but I'm saying it's $1,200, $1,500 to be competitive. And that also presumes that you have either an iPad to edit on, a laptop to edit on, or a desktop to edit on, which is pretty common if you're already, um, you know, on the internet in that way. So again, um, to a point that a longtime friend of the show, um, Chantel Hills is saying here in the chat, is that if you train as a chef, you need your own knives. That's absolutely true. So again, this is not different than starting a career in photography or being a musician or being a DJ. You're gonna need the tools of your trade. And yes, you could start with your phone. You could start with your phone. And there are plenty of careers who do that. I'm just letting you know that it's a little, it's a little more work uh, with that resource and the phone has its limitations and its problems. It's, it's capable of making serviceable content, serviceable live streams, but again, it's not competitive and YouTube and content creation, as you all know, is becoming more and more competitive year after year after year, the goalpost and barrier to entry to be competitive is shifting all the time. Now, if you're not in that place in year one, I'm at least giving you a goal to say, hey, I could start with what I have and I'll give you a budget solution that's half of that, about, by the way. But again, you're gonna end up, okay, you're gonna upgrade, you're gonna have to buy things again. So now, yes, you could start with something, I can give you a $500 version of this, but you're still going to take that $500 version and then you're still gonna end up having to buy this 12 to $1,500 version at some point. But I will say, that uh, something you could do um, is you could get something like the Elgato face cam or a Logitech webcam, but the Elgato face cam is definitely better. Those are between 100 to $200 for a webcam and it's at least still better and more dedicated of a camera than your phone. Um, so that's actually gonna help considerably. And then you could have a streaming setup like this so you could get a $100 microphone, a hundred to two hundred dollar webcam and then maybe you get an 80 60 or 100 dollar light and so all of a sudden that's less than 500 dollars, and that's still a dedicated setup but it's stationary for the most part or if you have a, lap a laptop already it's you know it's a little better than stationary if you have a laptop it has some mobility to it but that's what you would be doing um and at least that's something and it's still a little bit better than your phone in a lot of cases, especially with the dedicated audio source. That's gonna be better than your phone having a dedicated microphone. Uh, so you could do that. Um, and if you're gonna be a streamer on YouTube, doing a live stream show, a podcast, uh, and streaming can be very powerful. If you look at what's been going on with Emily D. Baker uh, covering a lot of these 
uh, trials that include large public figures. Uh, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial is a good example. She uh, she was a small streamer two years ago before the pandemic, and now she has a hundred thousand people watching her live streams. It's amazing. It's a it's a great success story. And she uses Streamyard to do that. You get Streamyard uh, for free. Link is in the description and in the show notes. Uh, for anyone who wants to check that out, thank you to Streamyard also for sponsoring the podcast and the G and the main YouTube channel. Streamyard's been a tremendous friend of the show, especially during the pandemic. Streamyard's been amazing, and you could also get one of their great affordable plans, and that actually could help you with your content creation. It's allowing me to multi-stream on multiple platforms at once. Streamyard is why I can stream on uh, LinkedIn Live, Facebook, my Facebook group the YouTube channel and Twitter all at the same time and get a little bit more reach. So uh, that's just something to consider. Some of your laptops might have a decent webcam in them, not all of them, but some of them might. So you can do, you can work with what you have where you are to get started, but I am letting you know, and I'm being honest with you because what a lot of people like to do is they will lie to you and they will say, well, gear doesn't matter when they should say gear doesn't matter to start but it does matter if you need to be competitive and it does matter in creating the best viewer experience possible. You guys have to admit, it is a more interesting and a more professional live stream with me having the ability to do multiple camera angle switching. You have to admit that it's a better live stream with me having you know, audio cues, background music, uh, the bells and whistles. And I invested into this because I believe that my audience, the listeners and the viewers of the podcast deserve the best show that I'm capable of giving them. So uh, that's where I put my money. I would be, if I didn't invest so much in the ability to edit fast, produce fast, produce quality, the best photos, the best lighting, the best cameras, so on and so forth, I would be about maybe... If I decided to just say, hey, I'm just going to do this as cheaply as possible, I'd be about $150,000 richer if I tried to do this as cheaply as possible. But I constantly upgrade and I constantly try to say, I'm not going to be fancy on some things, but where I will not cut corners is I will try to not cut corners on production. I will not because I think that for you spending time with me, I want you to have the best experience that I'm capable of delivering. And so I'd rather do that as nice as it is to have money invested in my portfolio or padding my bank account or increasing my net worth or being my security blanket, the reality is I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't put my audience first. So that's what I do. That's, but I'm not saying you have to go overboard like me, by the way, because what I do is a little bit overkill. It's a little bit extra. There's a lot of people who get more and do less. They really do. But at the end of the day, I like knowing that uh, I'm delivering the best that I'm capable of. I actually like tech, I like gadgets, I like content creation. I don't feel like it's a problem. And the thing is I want to get to a place to where I feel, to be honest with you, the investments I made in the way that I do this means that if I want to put on the best show every day as a solo content creator, I have people who work in my coaching business, but the content is still 100% me, y'all. The content's still me. I still do all the production, all the editing, um, all the thumbnails, everything. I still do everything for the main YouTube channel, the podcast channel, uh, I do everything myself. I have people who help me in the coaching business. Eventually that will change. Uh, the issue is less about having the money to hire people and more that talent and trust is hard to come by. <laughs> you know, just saying. So this is, that's a little bit more advanced than our beginners talk. But as far as beginners, I'm just kind of letting you know that it's been a journey even for me 
and that what I learned is when you buy better tools, you're faster. When you buy better tools, you're faster, you're more confident, and you don't have to redo your work over and over, which means you don't waste energy, and then you don't get discouraged that way. So having good tools, reliable tools, where you're happy with the quality and you don't have to edit as hard, that's what investing in the tools are. You have to work harder and you have to spend more time. If you, if you shoot stuff with your phone, a lot of times you're going to spend more time trying to catch up to somebody who shot with a camera and feel like, why is my stuff not as good as theirs? So the thing is, I'd rather spend less time editing. And I can spend less time editing when I use better production tools. When I do, when I have good audio coming in, I have to spend less time processing audio. So what does that do? That shaves 45 minutes to an hour and a half off of how long it takes me to get a video out because I decided to invest in a good microphone. That's the difference. Um, you know, if I have good lighting, it means that there's a less of a chance that my video quality ends up bad or autofocus ends up being an issue if I have a good lens. So I buy a good lens so that I have less chance of autofocus issues and I can have the look that I want for the videos. And so if I don't have to worry about, oh, like I have a flippy screen or I have a monitor, having a flippy screen or a monitor means I can reliably say that the footage was good, it was clear, and it was in focus, and I can know that it's going to come out good. Um, having cameras, I spend more on cameras so that they don't have a record limit so that I know, oh, it recorded everything that I wanted it to record, right? So that's what I do. And so that's... Um, you know, that's important to me. So I, I invest in these things. And I spend the extra money on gear, even though people would say it's mad extra and it's wildly expensive or that's too extravagant for doing content on the internet. I actually take some pride in knowing that right now you're getting a better quality of live broadcast than some people who satellite into CNN on the news have a lower level of broadcast quality, lower level of audio quality, are less well lit, less sharp and less in focus. I am glad and happy to be able to beat some of the content that's on mainstream television when people satellite in from their living room to be a guest on a talk show or CNN that I'm beating them. That I, There's some pride in that. And I feel like uh, you as viewers deserve the best I'm capable of. And it pains me that the people with nearly unlimited resources don't go as hard in the paint for a viewer experience as I do. So I'm happy to do it. And I'm happy that having your support as an audience, both in attention and financially, everybody who super chats, everyone who uh, joins Awesome Creator Academy, everybody who does coaching calls with me, everybody who super chats, everybody who donates, everybody who's a channel member. All of that has put me in a position to where I can make the best content that I'm capable of, make it as competitive as possible, make it as quality as possible. And I look at every piece of the viewer experience. And so if you're a beginner creator, that can sound mad intimidating, but that should be what the ultimate goal is. The ultimate goal is not a follower count or any of those things. It's to be able to take pride in your work and to get to a place where you can do it very well, do it with confidence do it with as little strain on yourself as possible and get, and by delivering that quality, getting to a place to where if you want it to be full-time and you want it to be a career, it can be a career and it can provide for you, provide for your family and be something worth reinvesting into. And so that's where you ultimately want to, if that's where you want to see yourself, then viewer experience matters. And again, I, you can do it affordably to start. And where I would start is the microphone. I would start with the audio experience, if anything else, because audio is 
the thing that becomes unbearable if it's bad more than video itself. Audio, if it's um, if it's bad, it's unbearable. So if you do anything, if you're gonna do anything, swear to God, if you're gonna do a live stream, go out and buy a, a good microphone. Get something like the Rode uh, Procaster, or the, uh, the, it's like a hundred dollar microphone. Get a hundred to two hundred dollar microphone. Save up, take an extra shift, do a side hustle. Get yourself a good microphone. You can work with whatever camera you have. You can even work with your phone, but get a good microphone or get a phone accessory that's a good microphone and get the audio to be as good as possible first. So uh, start with the audio. The next thing I would do after the audio is don't be beholden to the time of day and the sunlight and natural lighting. Go out and get yourself a good light and you can get a good light. Get a you get a decent light for sixty to eighty dollars, but I think you should spend a hundred fifty, two hundred dollars, and get one or two good lights or a good lighting kit. So if I was gonna spend five hundred dollars as a content creator, even if I'm just gonna like if I'm gonna main my phone or a webcam or a laptop camera or anything, I'm gonna focus on audio. I'm gonna focus on lighting so that I can control um, video quality will improve directly as a result of lighting. And then audio quality makes everything more watchable and makes it a better experience. And so you get that right. You've gone a long way already. And then you can focus on things like either getting a webcam or an actual camera. And then you can, and you can save up for that. But if you at least can do audio and lighting, that's going to drastically improve your content. And the thing is from a technical standpoint, you know, like from a technical standpoint, that's also going to be an issue. Because if you can master the audio side and if you can master lighting, those are technical advantages that matter a lot more, a lot more. Most content creators do not understand good lighting and things like that. Uh, there's things with the lighting. You may have noticed that I can look directly at the screen and there's a minimal amount of glare on my glasses and that also my lighting's not super harsh. I'm bouncing the light with my mounted lights on my desk. I'm bouncing the light and I'm doing it at an angle. And so that's that's helping. I also light for my skin tones. So you notice that that helps as well. Like that's important. And then there's things I've had to learn with audio as well. I work on it all the time. But that... Uh, you know, that can matter. So learning about lighting and audio from a technical level, this is something a lot of content creators don't do, especially early on, is they don't invest enough time mastering their technical skills and their technical ability and their proficiency with the software and hardware. Um, the, the software and hardware side of being a content creator is what takes up a lot of the time to really get up and running and to really be competitive. So just kind of like keep that in mind that that's where the time suck is, because the thing is, a lot of people will just keep churning out their content and doing it after work and struggling. But what they won't do on the weekend is learn to get any faster. And so if you're going to get faster at anything, if you're um, doing if you're doing edited content instead of doing live streaming, the thing that you should get really good at and study is your video editing software. You should get really good at your video editing software and you should be practicing tutorials. You shouldn't be doing them just when you need to get out of video and learning something just when you need to get out of video. You should be practicing that because the faster you get at that and you master shortcuts and you make, um, you know, um, presets and you do those things, all of a sudden you go from, oh, it's taking me eight hours to edit this to, oh, 
It's taken me six hours to add this to, oh, it's taken me four hours to add this to, oh, it's taken me two hours and my quality is better. If you can get your best quality out and now instead of eight hours, it takes you two to edit a basic video, it's not going to feel like a chore to create content anymore. You're going to be able to be mad consistent. You might even be able to say, wow, I can go to two videos a week. And then you can grow more because you have double the output. You're getting faster. You're getting more comfortable. You're building more rapport with the audience. And so a lot of people, they just will not spend their days off and their free time improving their ability to make content. And that would make a big difference. Um, and yes, in terms of lighting, I also, I see some comments here. Um, I am using background lighting. Uh, it's relatively affordable. I use Elgato lights because they show up really good on camera. I used to use Philips Hue lights, but they used to create... Um, visual banding in the background but these are a lot cleaner so now i use um elgato lights and it's worked out a lot better for me and i command them with my elgato stream deck as well so um you know those are just um those are just some things that i do and it creates a good aesthetic uh and it, i think it works out really well in terms of making the content a little bit nicer you know so that's something um that's something i do just uh, playing with uh, playing with the other camera real quick. Uh, the one to the left there. No, to the right. Sorry, to the right. Um, so if I switch to the camera over here on the right, there you go. You get a different, you know, you get a different angle there. You get a different look. Uh, that one is the Sony. This one here that I'm pointing to, the Sony ZV-1 with a built-in lens. And I can, you know, zoom that lens in or out. I can get it wider and things like that. So I can use this for the super wide angle. Um, no, that's going in too tight. Uh, so yeah, I can use that for a super wide angle. And so what you get to see with that is you also get to see the fact that it's like I've got some sound treatment going on around here. Um, I also have my messy desk. <laughs> and you get to see a little bit of what's going on. You get to see like, oh, here's the behind the scenes. So like, I mean, so it's a different look. Um, then I have this other uh, camera. This one's also, the, the other one's really good for also pointing like at the desk if I wanted to show you the switcher and stuff like that. So I like this angle for when I put comments on the screen for those of you who are watching in the video audience. Thank you for joining the live streams. And also thank you to anybody who super chats. That is always appreciated. It does help the podcast channel. Um, but yeah, there's, um, you know, there's a lot to it. Uh, you can definitely always stand to benefit from investing more time and learning the technical aspects of content creation. And I think it's neglected a lot. And people think that they're just going to, you know, there's so much that I think is misleading about the notion of going viral and the short form vertical video content and how quickly that moves. I think people, it gives people a false impression because then when they try to do um, long form content, or medium form content, when they try to do something other than vertical short form video, they get mad discouraged. They realize it's a big difference and it's a big struggle um, because getting 15 seconds of attention isn't hard. Retaining 15 minutes of attention is. And that's no offense to short form content creators or vertical content creators. It's just radically different. And so the fast growth on that, it's like it does things for you. It does open doors. It does. People built careers off of it. But we don't have any evidence of the longevity of that. And we don't know how long people who don't get massively, massively huge 
can last doing that because they're often beholden to trends and to culture and that's really fickle evergreen long-form content is much harder to pull off but the barrier to entry you know uh, feels a lot lower Friend of the show, Elliot, family of seven. Thank you for the $5 super chat. Also, we have one of my favorite students, Steve Ram in the house. Steve Ram has been crushing it with uh, financial content, really took off um, with stimulus content. Talk about tapping into trends in the right way. Uh, Steve, you're welcome to come on the podcast. Uh, not tonight, but we, we need to do an interview. We need to talk about your story and your success. But like Steve's crushing it and was able to become a full-time content creator and dramatically changed the trajectory of his family's life if you go check out his channel if you go um check out steve ram but oh god it's like it's not even close i mean what he's been able to accomplish is tremendous i mean you know we'll talk about more in the show but i don't mind telling you like steve has built a like a six-figure a multiple six-figure income from his content creation in just the last two or three years Yep. Cloud Gaming Dad, good to see you here. Um, and yeah, anyone who has questions, feel free to drop questions uh, and super chat those as well, um, something like that. But yeah, 15 seconds of attention isn't hard. Retaining 15 minutes of attention absolutely is. It's a massive difference. Uh, again, you can get um, a channel up and running with, uh, say, YouTube Shorts, for example. You could build a reputation by growing on TikTok and then try to port that audience over to another platform. But it's very challenging to get people to leave one platform for another. YouTube becomes a better funnel to grow your other platforms than the opposite. The opposite, it's harder to use your other channels now. It's harder to use other platforms to grow a YouTube career uh, than it is to use a successful YouTube career to grow other platforms. That's still challenging, but it's a little easier to be honest with you. Um, Let's see. Do you, a question came in, do you have any uh, tips on better storytelling in your videos? I actually did a video a while, a couple of years ago about how to be a better storyteller. Um, I also recommend Colin and Samir's course on storytelling. Storytelling is largely about knowing who your audience is first. So the big thing with storytelling is first, know who you're talking to, know your audience. So there's a difference between talking to rookies versus veterans in terms of who the audience is. There's a difference between talking to young people versus um, people who are older. There's a difference between an audience of men and an audience of women. So knowing your audience and understanding context and culture as it relates to your audience has to be part of crafting your storytelling because you have to know what stories are going to resonate and what uh, words, what narratives, what cultural references are going to apply to your audience. Primary example is if I have a young audience of Gen Z and young millennials, there's like, they're not going to understand eighties and nineties references that I make. They might not understand references I make to classic literature. So that's radically different. There's a storytelling that I could do to somebody who might be from, say, the sci-fi or anime community that wouldn't work with somebody who does not participate in those genres of content. So understanding the cultural significance of certain things to the audience that you're speaking to matters a lot when it comes to storytelling. The other thing is using concepts and tropes and uh, structures 
things like the hero's journey, things like three-act structure, those things all matter. Also, the concept of establishing scenes, uh, concepts like uh, Chekhov's gun. Like, uh, okay, if you, in the first act, show a gun or a weapon or a MacGuffin or allude to it, the payoff by the end has to be that that weapon or magical item or, or thing uh, gets used or utilized. Um, there has to be that payoff, right? So that's part of storytelling. The other thing is creating and establishing stakes. Creating and establishing stakes. Like, let's say the reason that Mr. Beast content works is because up front, he establishes the stakes and you're trying to get to the payoff in the story. But he creates also little subplots and side quests along the way to re-engage you and keep you intrigued and keep you interested. He also gets you invested in why it's meaningful to um, the the contestants, the participants, the people in his challenges, what it means to them if they uh, succeed. A primary example is in the video he did recently um, where uh, he pays a guy X amount of money for however many days he stays in solitary confinement. I think it was something like $10,000 for every day he stays in solitary confinement. Um, he want the 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 contestant wanted to propose to his fiance. He wanted to buy her a ring. He wanted to uh, put a down payment on a house. He wanted to move in with her. So the thing is, there were some stakes here of like, okay, this money can change this young man's life forever. This can start him and his you know girlfriend off with their new life. And then you get to see him propose to her and say yes. So there's like there's all these interesting plot points. But then the ultimate payoff is how long can he last? That's the curiosity. How long can he last in solitary confinement by himself? And also, okay, is the girl gonna say yes to the proposal? Of course she is, but also we wanna see well, what's her reaction going to be? What is it going to be? And uh how much money are they gonna be starting this new life with? It's like so you you know, you have these interesting things that make it more interesting so there's that there's that part of it so those things are to be considered in terms of your storytelling and um since i make education content there you could argue i have some executions of storytelling within how i approach some of that and you can look at my videos and you can see that there is a structure and that i do have formats varying formats in some cases even the way i do the podcast is conversational but there are storytelling elements or devices used in it when i do public speaking i do storytelling but again if you are really good um crash course in storytelling i recommend colin and samir's course um so definitely make sure you check that out carrot juice podcast with a super chat donation thank you for the nine dollars and 99 cents uh, Carrot Juice says, I like your new setup. Looks crisp. The podcast is a breath of fresh air filled with dense evergreen knowledge that I really appreciate. Positive vibes, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate you, Carrot. Very good. Colin Michael says, I love watching Star Trek from the 60s because they instantly start their mission and the stakes that they are facing. Still incredible hooks even today. Yeah, that's actually really a good point. You can look at other content and you can look at the storytelling and the setup. And again, like I said, establishing stakes. I actually do this in my videos and I do it in my titles and thumbnails. I'll give you a primary example. If I start out a video and I say, um, 
let's say I did a title for a video and I said, how I make $10,000 a month in passive income, not clickbait. Well, that's already an intriguing title and it's like I've established stakes. It's like, is he legitimate? That's where the stakes are. Does he actually have a way to prove that he makes 10,000? And can I do it also? Is what he's going to say realistic? Is this going to be, or is this going to be some fake guru BS? And so again, there's intrigue, there's stakes, there's a payoff, there's a desirable outcome. So even in a how-to video, you can see that I'm using some uh, aspects of storytelling and I'm establishing stakes. And so in a video like that, I'll go and I'll start something like, I'll show you exactly how I would intro a video like that. So here's like how I would kind of do an intro. Let's also switch up the music. Um, Passive income is one of the most popular subjects on the internet. And it's definitely one of the things that uh, makes this YouTube channel go round. Every time I talk about it, I get more views. But how is it possible to make true passive income? Can you actually make money in your sleep? Or is it all nonsense, smoke and mirrors and scams? Well, today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to transparently show you some of my income streams. I'm going to take you into my dashboards. I'm going to explain to you how uh, I managed to do this. Here's the spoiler. It took me quite a while. No one gets to make money in their sleep overnight. This took me years. But if I knew the things I'm going to tell you, it would have happened a lot sooner. So let's jump into the video. See, that's my hook, if you will. That's my 20-second hook and pitch for starting off a video. And that's my intro to set up stakes, establish some of my credibility, acknowledge the skepticism of the audience when they click the video, and re-engage them. And it makes a good point. Okay, he says it take, took him years. Well, how many years? And he says, well, if he knew the thing he's going to teach us, it would happen sooner. So, yeah, I kind of want to know that. And I want to know how long it took, why it took so long. What's realistic? What's not? He says he's going to show us the terrestrial dashboard. Okay, most people don't do that. That's cool. All right. Well, how does this work? Okay, uh, I can I can keep watching here. I'll give him another minute, 60 seconds, 90 seconds to get to the point. See if I like what's going on. Okay. And so then in I would probably structure the video in thirds. The, the first thing I would do is, okay, let's look at what my passive income streams are, how much they are, qualify that it is the $10,000 I said it is. Okay, now let's look at everything I had to do. So act two is here's how long that took and everything I had to do to get them to those levels. So that's act two. Act three is, okay, here's what you need to know that would allow you to replicate this at a faster rate than I did. And here's what qualifies for it. And therefore, at the end, you now know, okay, it's possible to make that or get close if I do these things. So that was the moral of the story and the payoff. And here is the mistakes Roberto made. That is the cautionary tale, the lesson, the moral, the narrative. And so that is my storytelling structure for a how-to video. That's my storytelling structure for a how-to video. You know, because my storytelling structure for a how-to video is that the hero in that story is theoretically you, but I'm the wise old wizard reiterating my lived experience and passing it on because the hero of my story is actually you because I'm the mentor. I'm the wise old wizard. I'm Gandalf. I'm Obi-Wan or, or the emperor or whatever. I'm the, you know, I'm the person who's already had the experience. And now I'm reiterating uh, oh, if I were young again, here's, you know, what I would do. Uh, so go forth, young man, young woman, go west, you know, um, 
here's the map, so to speak. So that's that's my storytelling approach to education content is to um, take on the frame of the mentor. And my the value of my story is from the frame of the mentor and therefore the hero of the story, the person going on the hero's journey is you. I give you the three act structure of here is what I achieved in my endeavors. And then, okay, here was the process of the endeavor. Here was the adventure. And then here is what I did wrong and what you should do instead and learn from my mistakes. And therefore that's my three act structure of education-based storytelling is here's the desirable outcome or, or the undesirable outcome. If I'm given a cautionary tale, like if I go, oh, here are seven things that'll destroy your YouTube channel. And then I go, okay, here are the seven things that uh, will destroy your YouTube channel. And this is bad because then all these terrible things will happen. Um, and here's how they can happen here is. So if I do a listicle, that's like things to avoid, I'll tell you all the bad things to avoid and I'll list them. But individually, I'll also tell stories of all the bad things that happened to people who did these things that, and I always use seven for mistakes to avoid. Cause I do that because it's a play on the seven deadly sins. So whenever I do a seven mistakes to avoid, I'm basically invoking the seven deadly sins of whatever the topic is. And so, um, I then tell cautionary tales of the, the people who had this unfortunate thing happen and these mistakes and what the consequences were. And so then, um, those are micro stories. Okay. So then they're self-contained cautionary tales. And that's another format of storytelling is here's this terrible thing. And then here is the experience this person had from this terrible thing. Here's how you can avoid their same fate, young man, young woman. It's like, you know, here's the, you know, the cautionary tale. It's like, I'm going to tell you the trick. You heard the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise. <laughs> yeah, so like, yeah, so that's how I, uh, you know, that's how I usually go about that. So that's a different format of storytelling where I'm then telling micro stories by, again, invoking the seven deadly sins of a topic and giving you micro cautionary tales but still is uh, three beats because it's like, here's the bad thing that happened. Here's an example of someone that happened to, here's how to avoid their fate. You see one, two, three. So it's still a three act, it's still a three act narrative, but I'm using it for each of my seven deadly sins. I'm using a three act narrative of here's the sin. Here's the sin in action. Here's the virtues that allow you to avoid the sin. Like, so that's the structure. So uh, that's another concept of storytelling that I use in listicle format uh, videos. And that's just, you know, one good example. Daniel Patel, thank you, my friend. Uh, early Barbie movies began with classic branded Marvel intro. Now they begin with story where our heroes are at, and then they introduce the branded intro story first. I agree with this. And even our good friend Peter McKinnon, whenever he does his intro, or when Colin Samir used to roll their intro, they would start with story first, intro, and then they'd intro. And what that usually is referred to is uh, it's called a cold open. And you can even think of my videos as where I do a cold open where before I say, hey, I'm Roberto Blake helping you create something awesome today, I usually start with, oh, here is, you know, the thing that matters to you. Here's why this video isn't clickbait. And then, like, I'll launch into my credibility spill or the sponsor for the day and then uh, get to the 
uh, core content of the video. So I start with the intro. I start with the story. I start with the stakes or the thing that you want to know about. So, um, yeah. And so I agree here. Uh, Breaking Bad uh, had some great cold opens. I like that as well. But yeah, cold opens are a good format. Yes, it goes back to even things like James Bond. So I mean, those are those are good concepts. And so I know that was a one just one question about storytelling, but I, I wanted to give you some some advice of like, okay, I even found out how to do that within my education content. And it's funny because I used to actually say, and I used to um, dunk on myself that said like, I don't do storytelling, but actually I do. Um, there are different approaches uh, to storytelling and there's different content formats. So it doesn't always have to be a vlog. It doesn't always have to be a vlog. And, and most people actually don't do good storytelling when they do vlogs. Casey Neistat does great storytelling when he does vlogs, but he's using a TV serial type format uh, with that. Uh, one of the best examples of storytelling that I've ever seen on YouTube is from the YouTube animation community. YouTube animation community does great with storytelling in their story time videos. My favorite is probably Young Don the Sauce God. He's one of my favorite um, creators. He's, um, you know, Jamaican. Um, and I have uh, that in my family as well. So there's a little bit of that. And um, I love his content so much. And he's blown up big time. Um, and I've actually done, you know, I've done coaching with him. Um, you know, I don't take any credit for anybody's success, but it's like, there are some things that we came up with because I was a fan of his content and a fan of his stories and what he incorporates into him. And something I always appreciate is that he literally has a moral of the story at the end of his videos. So yeah, it's young Don, the sauce God. If you want to check him out, his stuff is hilarious. He is hilarious. I think that he is the proper like successor to Swoozy, who is one of the first real creators to put like YouTube animation story time on the map. And, um, so I, I feel like, you know, he's a great creator to look at. Alex Clark is another one. Odd ones out. They're some of the best when it comes to the animation community, obviously swoozy, but that's also a really good way to just see storytelling play out in a very literal way on YouTube um, is watching the animation community. Walter Strong the third says, Hey, Roberto, what advice would you give a new YouTuber starting on YouTube who wants to grow their channel and audience, but they're also an introvert themselves? I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. Um, it, the main thing is, I would tell you that if you're an introvert, start an Instagram account and do Instagram stories every day for like 30 or 90 days and get used to doing Instagram stories and do Instagram live streams because that content goes away. So it takes away some of the anxiety, but by talking to a camera and talking to an audience, even if it's just your phone and I would do it on Instagram, just because again, the content goes away and it's lower stakes for you to practice getting good on camera. Now, back in my day, I didn't do that, but uh, so I just made a hundred crappy YouTube videos uh, to get comfortable on camera. But I wish what I had done is I wish I'd been in a position where back then uh, we, we didn't really have Instagram stories didn't exist back in my day when I started doing YouTube. But now you can start with Instagram stories or Snapchat. The content goes away, lowers your anxiety, but you are getting used to talking to a camera or a very small audience. And if you do that for 30 to 90 days, you get really comfortable even as an introvert, which is talking to a camera, talking to an audience. And so you're less intimidated. And then you can start YouTube with a little bit more polish, just a little bit more polish. So you could do that. 
or you could do Twitch streaming and you could Twitch stream every day, 30 days in a row for 30 minutes to an hour. And that'll get you really comfortable on camera really fast. And then when you want to do YouTube, you're much more comfortable in front of a camera and you're used to talking to an audience or talking to a camera or even just a handful of people. So it will make you more confident on camera, even as an introvert. As an introvert, you also have to figure out managing your energy. Introverts are actually more suited for YouTube than you think, because if you're not in front of a live audience and you're recording your video in your safe space um, and not vlogging in public, that's the other thing. If you're an introvert, maybe you don't vlog and maybe you don't vlog in public and maybe you don't vlog because if you're an introvert, you need a more controlled set up to be honest and it'll be less taxing on your anxiety and on your mind and on your um, internalizing everything so the thing is what i find and one of the reasons i also have massively controlled production and i uh, do everything with that i do these massively controlled production stuff because that also helps me as an introvert it's the control um that like makes me more confident so guess what locked off on a tripod that helps me I'm not worried about camera shake and stabilization in my arms and stuff like that. Oh, you know, uh, me having a good camera. I'm like, oh, I'm not worried about the auto focusing. I'm not worried about that. Like, so as an introvert, control helps me. So controlled lighting, controlled audio, controlled autofocus, uh, quiet environment. So I also think filming when no one's around, if you're an introvert, matters. I think filming when no one's around. Uh, so film either early in the morning before everyone gets up or late or like after everyone's asleep or while everyone's at work or at school or on a day off, send people out for an hour and film when it's quiet. That'll help you film when no one's around. Don't film in public right away because it's like it's too much anxiety. You can practice with Instagram. That helps a lot. And just having control over everything will make it easier for an introvert to make content. Um so that's definitely part of my advice. The other thing is getting comfortable on camera and also talking about things you're very passionate about helps as you're an introvert. Because even if you're an introvert, if you're passionate about the subject matter and you're also speaking about subject matter that you're, you care about deeply and you're also confident in talking about, um, then that helps a lot. So the other thing is to just like try to avoid uh, ignore a lot of whatever criticism you might get if you get any criticism just ignore it for the most part because you're just starting out just know that okay i'm starting out like low expectations here i'll get better i'll give it time you know so that helps but yeah if i'm an introvert i don't start with vlogging for one thing that's for sure How different of an approach should we take to Insta and Twitter as opposed to YouTube by content type would fit Insta pretty well by struggle to get traction on there. Try reels with Instagram, Instagram reels and stories. But the other thing is also Instagram stories, Instagram stories and reels are what's working right now. Post some good sticky um, things for your feed in terms of photos as well. Sure. But the real, the real thing right now, reels is, um, what's popping right now and stories still actually is the most important thing in Instagram as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so that's, that's something Twitter is much more about engaging in communities and existing conversations. I would say also participate in other people's Twitter spaces, raise your hand, have something to contribute that grows you in Twitter and that can help supplement things and help people be aware of your content so that that's a little different. Um, 
live streaming on Instagram actually still is a thing. If you didn't know that, like that still helps a lot with the algorithm and they're pushing that as well. But YouTube, YouTube is evergreen. All these other platforms are not as evergreen as YouTube. So with YouTube, you have to think of it almost like television or Netflix or a catalog in that way. And uh, content can still be good six months or six years later, believe it or not. So you want to plan for that. Um, but some people don't. Some people chase trends. I prefer evergreen. Other people like to be trendy. I'm too old to be trendy. I'm 30. I'm going to be 38 this year. I'm too old to be trendy. I'm too old to chase like viral stuff and nonsense. I mean, you're technically never too old for that. I mean, there are plenty of older content creators that are getting in on trends and things like covering uh, scandals and court cases, things like uh, Amber Heard, Johnny Depp. So that's fine. And like, if it's your temperament and your personality, um, me, I know who I am and I know I don't like things that are trendy. Uh, YouTube, Boxing Central acts. Uh, what happened to Clubhouse? Clubhouse is still popping, but not for the masses, but it never was meant to, to be honest, in my opinion. Clubhouse has been great for people who built connections and real relationships during the pandemic. So now people with Clubhouse, they have these great friend groups. I'm part of Coffee Talk uh, with Viper. And so people use Clubhouse for like friend groups and also late night chats. Some people use it actually to double dip with their podcast. Some people use it for call-in shows for their podcast. So again, Clubhouse is niche now, which is what it should have always been. See, everyone thinks that every platform has to be the next big thing, but you guys, Twitch isn't even that big. Think about it. Twitch is not even that big. TikTok is much bigger than Twitch. Instagram is much bigger than Twitch. Twitch is still, but guess what? As far as top platforms for content creators twitch is still a top platform for content creators as a fraction of the audience that youtube does like and i do believe that there's a future there's a massive future in social audio people just haven't fully come around to it and then there was like a lot of it was um instigated by the pandemic and twitter is so big that it's popping with Twitter spaces and social audio there because people already had audiences there. But again, for smaller influencers, Clubhouse still has a lot of value. And the main thing is the reason that big uh, people left Clubhouse as far as influencers, big influencers and YouTube stars, they left Clubhouse not because it wasn't trendy or it wasn't worthwhile. What, what made it not worthwhile with Clubhouse was cancel culture. Cancel culture is what um, made big YouTubers leave Clubhouse because somebody tried to cancel Mr. Beast and people just said, nope, I'm out and not worth it. And, you know, uh, people were being overly sensitive and this was still in the middle of the pandemic. So um, the big creators that were starting to do stuff on Clubhouse regularly, there was a point where every single night on Clubhouse, some big YouTuber was doing something. And right after people try to cancel Mr. Beast for nothing, by the way, uh, people are like, nope, Clubhouse is a liability because what happened was people started clipping Clubhouse conversations, which you're not supposed to do and you're not supposed to record without people's permission. And they were using it and they were feeding cancel culture at the height of cancel culture and cancel culture killed Clubhouse for big YouTubers. So big YouTubers don't touch it anymore. And that's and that's a real shame. Like. So, yeah. So that's what happened to Clubhouse. Um, and it's a real shame because when these big people left, their audiences 
weren't invested in the platform anymore, which is a shame because uh, Clubhouse helped grow a lot of small creators and also a lot of larger content creators were in Clubhouse all the time, dropping gems, dropping gems, dropping jewels, paving the streets of Clubhouse with gold, putting people on, giving people advice, uh, you know, sliding into people's DMs. It was great. When it while it lasted, it was great while it lasted. But we can't have nice things because people don't appreciate them, and people don't respect the opportunities, and people think that the answer is to make their name off of the back of somebody else's downfall, which is a real shame that that's how it is, um, and sad. And so one of my hopes is with the relationships I have is to bring more creators like I did with Justin Moore and some other folks. Uh, we will have uh, Pat Flynn coming back to the show. Um, you know, he's already uh, graciously agreed to come on the show. Justin Moore, uh, Jay Klaus, uh, other people, uh, hopefully people like James Johnny, Patty Galloway, some other guests. Maybe we can have Marquez come again. Um, would love to have some of my friends, more female content creators, people like Sarah Dietschy, um, you know, so many others that um, there's just a lot of creators. I have a list of a hundred creators and that's why I'm spacing right now is like my brain's trying to process this list of a hundred people while it's also past my bedtime, <laughs> you know, part of me being uh, the beginnings of me being an old fart. Um, yeah. Like there's a hundred, there's a list of a hundred creators that I want to bring onto the podcast in the coming uh, weeks and months. I also want to start doing the podcast multiple times a week again. I think we're going to get there. I think we're going to get there. Um, and so my hope is that by bringing content creators on to chop it up with me, we can have them sharing their experience, sharing gems with the community, uh, giving a lot of knowledge and experience to, and a lot of the inside baseball and things you don't normally hear from them because you get to hear from the people in the uh, creator education space like me quite a bit, but unless it's an interview with uh, someone like me or they go on uh, one of these other podcast channels or they go on Colin and Samir, you don't get to hear the inside baseball, the behind the scenes of uh, the creator economy and creator businesses. So I want to bring content creators on that are large, that can give you a lot of value. I want to bring on mid-tier creators, full-time creators, small creators that are making thousands of dollars and are all about to go full-time and give you their perspective because uh, I want people you can learn from. I'm also going to bring on creator economy startup founders. I'm going to bring on if they'll let me and I get permission uh, from their lawyers. I'm going to bring on people who work at the platforms in social media. I'd love to bring on current and former employees from these platforms. Um, I have people I can reach out to who used to work at Instagram, Google, Facebook, YouTube um, that I could bring on to the channel. And so I know you'd love to hear from them. And I know you'd love to ask them questions and pick their brains because I think it's important to understand some context. They're not going to say anything that breaks any NDAs or contracts, but it's, it's, it's important to understand the perspective of the platforms and the people who work there and what the experience is and then the, that they do listen and what they do hear from us and how that's internalized and get a little bit of the inside baseball of that. I want to bring on brands. So they can tell us, you know, what a brand wants, what, what a brand wants, what a brand needs. And you can actually hear it from them and hear, well, what do they want from you in a deal? What, what makes them give a small creator a chance? What makes them give a big creator a chance? What is disappointing? What is not? And so on and so forth. So that's, that's something that I think is radically different. 
I think that's something that's radically different. Earth Central says, any tips for those really in the meteor meteorology and geology niche? <sighs> not really, because I because depending on how you're doing that, I'm not sure. The most that I could tell you is consider a pop science angle if you're interested in that. The most I can tell you is, because the thing is, I don't know what your approach is. If your approach is covering it like news or almost like the local weatherman, I don't know if that would work. What I would, I'll just, I, all I can tell you, my only advice without coaching you and diving into your channel, the only advice I can give you on doing something like meteorology or weather or geology is to take a pop science angle and look at things like Veritasium and SciShow. And I would basically make a very down to earth friendly science channel and explain like um, things to people about these different um, weather phenomenon and climate events and how these things work and explain to them the science, you know, so. Your gimmick is covering like news as soon as the event happens. I mean, if it's covering it as soon as it happens, I don't know if you can almost use a storm chaser type angle. But the thing is, like, the, the news angle of that, like, means you have to be, like, on top of it all of the time and that the content doesn't have any evergreen value, not really. And so basically you're filling in for the same thing as, a, a, as the weatherman, their own local weatherman, which I'm not sure how well, I'm not sure how well that works, to be honest with you. And because it feels like a lot of pressure to make that work and to compete with the local weatherman, if I'm not, if I don't have a green screen and I'm not doing that and I'm not, um, and I'm not just you, if I, if I can't basically do like how Philip DeFranco became the YouTube news guy, if you don't have the ability to become the YouTube weatherman, I, I, I it seems like a very uphill battle which is why my version of it is what I would be doing if I couldn't become the YouTube weatherman is I would probably go the angle of explaining um, historical natural disasters and going a more pop science history channel type almost vibe or like a pop science like SciShow does or Veritasium and make these really compelling science videos that might even have viral potential. So again, I would make more of a viral science channel because my two options are I can be a viral science channel, be evergreen, be popping, and maybe even have people react to my videos, or or I have to be doing the news, the, the weather news every day, and I have to become YouTube's weatherman. And if I have to become YouTube's weatherman, I'm going to need graphics, a graphics package. I'm going to need a green screen. I'm going to need multiple camera angles. I'm going to need to basically um, duplicate like what John Prosser does with his tech news show, but for weather. And then I have to figure out writing headlines like a boss. But like you said, it's worked really well so far and you do other series where you cover random volcanoes and their history. Okay, so I would try to like take a pop science angle to the volcano stuff because that's super interesting. But then for covering storms and things as they're happening, I would step up my production to compete like with the weather channel i would like so i'd get a green screen that's about 150 dollars for an elgato green screen i'd probably spend 
200, 300 to 500 in Mixtraf good lights. I'd get at least one cam, one really good camera. And so basically I would then look at John Prosser who does front page tech and he does a tech news show with bad jokes. And I would become a very sarcastic, satirical, have some funny jokes, be a personality, but also a weatherman and basically become YouTube's favorite weatherman. And so I would basically become some combination of John Prosser and Phil DeFranco, but in the weather and meteorology uh, niche, and that's probably how I'd do it. So that's, yeah, so that's how I would probably do it. So yeah, and I would do news headline type titles, yeah. So again, John Prosser is a very good person to study. So front page tech is good to study. And the Philip Franco show is good to study if you want to do any kind of news type content. Yeah. Yep, so that's my best advice. Then that's a super niche specific thing. But what I think I was able to do is you want to focus on meteorology, but meteorology is just news. So I was able to kind of get there with like, okay, so how do I make a good news show? And the way you make a good news show is you got to write news style headlines. So it's got to be uh, those same type of newspaper and article headlines. And then from a production standpoint, to make it interesting, you got to have a graphics package. And I think you got to go green screen for that to really pull it off. And that's what I would do. Which is what John Prosser does. And it works out very well, very well. So, I mean, if I had the capacity and I had a staff and I could hire another personality and I could just outsource it and everything like that, I would probably set somebody up to do four or five days a week and do creator economy news and not do it as a drama channel. I would figure out a way where hmm, can we make a four to five days a week thing that's not a drama channel, almost scale a little bit of what Colin Smear does, but instead of, they do evergreen stories actually, but if we were gonna do like daily news show of the creator economy, and like uh, do that a couple times a week or Monday through Friday or Monday through Thursday, almost Phil Franco style, but without, um, you know, more of the, more of a positive news slant than anything, if we can, um, I would basically try to do a creator economy version of source fed. If I had the, if I had unlimited budget, one of the things I would make is I'd make a news show for content creators around the creator economy. And it basically would be the opposite of all the drama channels. It would be, positive and if we have to cover a negative story we do it as professionals report on facts it's much less opinion based we insert ourselves into the story as little as possible and we become like an actual journalistic type approach and i would want to have a news show and teams and editors and things like that and like that i think that'd be dope but again if we did it i would kind of do it a little bit like front page tech I would just have to find it. I still might do, I still might hire somebody and do that. I might, I just need a damn host. I need a host with personality and somebody that I can lock into a three year exclusive contract or something, uh, three or five years or four years. Do it like election cycles, four more years, four more years. Yeah. So probably give them equity. Yeah. Probably give them equity. I'd probably want to host probably would. I'd probably want probably want um, the same kind of energy that Chris, uh, that uh, Crystal and Sagar have with breaking points. I probably want male and female hosts, different perspectives, different angles, different personalities. That way the audience might like one of them more than the other. Someone will love them both. And like, then I have an interesting 
uh, dynamic. I have this different energy, and then I could also give them solo segments. I could split the workload. See, this is how my brain works. I just like I just do these things. So, yeah. Nobody steal my idea. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. So that's that's my thoughts for a news situation for you earth central and i definitely wish you luck with that it seems like it's a really interesting challenge again i used to actually really like um a lot of that um that science stuff i grew up on mr wizard as a kid and i used to love bill nye the science guy and i used to watch a lot of pbs so i really love the science stuff so I think it's dope if you want to do a series where you get other YouTubers involved and you chase storms. But I think that that should maybe that should be an exclusive series that's only for paying channel members, because then that's a really good enticement. That's a really good enticement for paying channel members and exclusives. Um, something I've been thinking of doing um, for the main YouTube channel is for this podcast channel, I've been thinking of um setting up some segments where um, channel members can call into the show. Um, and that would be cool. But for the main channel, I've been thinking of doing even private um, private streams and letting people come on and, uh, you know, and making that an exclusive members only type club. So that's something I've been thinking about. I think that Sometimes you can make really high-end stuff that can be members only, and then that's a good enticement for that. And then that gives you a really good baseline of support as a content creator is to have your true fans that sign up for a membership and they get exclusive content. So I think that's definitely an angle that can be pursued a little bit more. Let me see. What final thoughts do I have for new content creators starting out. We talked a lot about expectations. We talked about treating it as something you have to build up to in skill. We talked a lot about the gear aspect of it and being competitive and about um, the viewer experience. I guess I can close out with a few final thoughts on how to actually grow. I think the hardest thing is that new content creators are intimidated with the idea of standing out. The thing is, just like in a sports or a music career, you can't stand out until you've mastered fundamentals. So I think people worry about standing out too early. It's like there's no point trying to stand out when you haven't even found your voice, found your niche, got comfortable on camera. Like people are trying to grow to validate themselves. They're trying to get like, I, I feel like the biggest problem for new content creators, you guys tell me if I'm off base, tell me if I'm off base. And I'm not trying to be accusatory when I say this. I think I just feel like far too many of you are hung up on insecurities that where you want to build an audience to validate yourself, to give you the courage to then go harder on the content when I think you should be doing the opposite. I think you should be building your skills and being validated by that. And the audience can be the byproduct of your doing very well and making something worthwhile. You're looking for validation in and externally and people telling you're worthwhile instead of you me objectively measuring improvement objectively measuring your own improvement from being a novice and having no experience to incrementally improving and seeing growth in you being more satisfied with your technical ability your own confidence in ca on camera your communication being better and more clear 
you being able to uh, emote and project more, being a faster editor, being a more accurate editor, just literally improving your skills is all you need to validate yourself. And then it's internal validation built on an accomplishment of knowing that you got better, regardless of whether getting better produced anything else externally outside of that. And I think if you, if that's a mindset shift, that's a mindset shift to where you have to be a better craftsman. And so then you know that you improved and that's what's validating and that's what's satisfying. And it's not that you can't take some validation and satisfaction from an audience, but it shouldn't be the foundation of what validates you. And that's the problem. Too many of you are looking for external praise, approval, and acceptance and making that the foundation of your confidence when it's the worst foundation for your confidence there ever is because that's too much shifting sand. You want a firm foundation for your confidence. The most firm foundation for your confidence is skill. It's skill and it's competency. Competency should be the foundation of your confidence. If validation, acceptance, and praise and approval is, it's not that strong. And it's something that can be, and your confidence can be robbed from you. But when you're, but because your skills and abilities can't be taken away, if that's the foundation of why you are confident and what is validating you as a foundation, then it's stronger. And because it's stronger, because it's built in something substantive and something that's internal to you that can't be taken away, then it's going to be harder to make you insecure. And that's a lesson that I wish more content creators knew up front. Uh, this is a good question from Walter, and this is a good way to end the show, and then we'll go into a little bit more Q&A. Uh, we'll end the audio part of the program, and then we'll go into after hours for the live-only audience. So if you're an audio listener, this is why you need to be on the YouTube channel with notifications on so that you don't miss the live streams. Walter Strong the third asked, Roberto, if you were starting a new channel today, what are the three things you wish you knew before starting a channel in 2022? Uh, so three things, if I were starting a new channel that I would want to know as a beginner, hmm. I feel like I gave you guys the first one already with expectations of growth. So the thing that I would, um, wish I knew, I think the thing that I wish I knew, because I probably could have grown bigger and faster and I could be at a million subscribers on my main channel. If I knew this, when I started is the importance of making consistent content, once you have an audience responding and you make consistent content, it's easier to grow faster when you post random videos and you're not intentional and just, oh, I'll just post whatever I want to post. You are killing the potential of your channel when you should focus on creating videos that are proven to perform. And so if I was ruthless about killing my darlings, as they say in writing, killing my darlings and not just posting whatever I wanted to post because I wanted to post it or I wanted to make it. And if I posted content, that my data already said, hey, you know, you've made a couple of videos. These videos did better. These 10 videos did better than these other 20 videos. I would stop making the 20 videos. I stopped making videos similar to the 20 that didn't get me views and subs and I'd make more of the five or 10 videos that did get me views and subs. And so, okay, if, if there are videos that only got me 10 new subscribers and there are videos that got me 100 or 200 new subscribers, I should be making more of the videos and exclusively the types of videos that get me 100 and 200 subscribers and kill off everything else and then maybe experiment a little and see if I can do any better, but I should kill off anything 
that wasn't getting me triple digits, if that's the case. If I have videos that are getting me triple digits and videos that are getting me double digits, I kill off and don't make any more of those double digit videos anymore, no matter how much I like them. Uh, I want to make stuff like that that I like. I make it on another platform that I don't care about growing. So if I want to grow and be a successful YouTuber, I kill my dollarings. I'm ruthless with my content. I give the audience what they're responding to. Because that's what being a performer is, is you give the audience what they respond to if you're a performer. So for me, YouTube is not purely, when you decide something's a career, and this is a little harsh, but like when something's, if you want something to be a career, you have to worry a lot less about expressing yourself and you have to worry a lot more about performing. And you have to worry a lot more about response and you have to worry a lot more about what's going to get you to your goal. And so if you want to express yourself, you do it on one of your second platforms. You do it on your Twitch streams if you're not worried about growing there or if that's where you get to be a variety streamer and you can have a community, more of a community than build an audience, you know, to be a career. Maybe you do that or maybe you do it on your Instagram stories and you vlog and express yourself that way. But I would ruthlessly pare down to the con. So first thing is I make what works and nothing else. I make what works and nothing else and experiment um, when I feel like I'm hitting a wall or when I feel like there's more to be gained, and, you know, and that's what I would do. So I would follow the audience. I would follow the audience and give the audience what they want. I would put the audience first and I would do that. Second thing I would do that, um, as a content creator, um, this one I did know, and I did practice this, but a lot of you don't know it. Um, that you should know before you start is again, I would get better at editing as fast as possible. I would get faster at editing so I can make as much content as good as possible, as quickly as possible. And I would ruthlessly say, I'm going to dedicate myself to being a fast editor instead of a fancy editor. I'd be a fast editor, fast and accurate instead of fancy. So I'd be focusing on audio editing and knowing how to fix bad audio and get good audio. I'd be focused on uh, color correction, maybe not color grading right away, but color correction and accurate skin tones more than anything else, accurate skin tones. And I would be focused on knowing what to cut and what to keep and cutting the fluff. And I would focus on mastering L cuts and J cuts and really focus on my cutting and my editing and my judgment and my timing. So I would focus on cutting, correcting audio and correcting color. And those are the only things that I would focus on and mastering the shortcuts and mastering all the tools that I would learn one or two techniques on top of that. I would learn sound design, audio mixing, and I would focus really on those things and I'd become as fast as an editor as possible. And I would use that editing skill if my YouTube channel wasn't making me a lot of money, I'd be using that editing skill to make money on the side, working for other people, getting better at content, getting faster, getting smarter, and then I can make more content and I can make more money. Um, and so that's something I would do. Um, and what's the third thing? Third thing is I knew this, but other creators don't, uh, don't focus on AdSense. Everything there's almost any other thing you would want to do would make more money than AdSense when you're getting started. And it's hard to get monetized uh, now starting out. I've made videos to help you with that, but it, it gets discouraging. So from a money standpoint, everything else makes more money except for AdSense when you're getting started, especially if you're doing entertainment content. AdSense doesn't pay that well. 10 people buying a shirt for you makes you $100 faster than trying to get 100,000 views. 
trying to get 10,000 to 100,000 views to make $100, which is about what it's going to take most of you. Um, because most of you will only make a dollar to two dollars for every 1,000 views on YouTube after YouTube takes their cut. If you're an entertainer and not an educator, that's what it's like. So you'd have to get like, you know, 50 to 100,000 views to make your first hundred dollars on YouTube. You are much better off if you can sell 10 t-shirts and a lot of you are reluctant to try to do that. You'll make a hundred dollars faster selling 10 t-shirts than getting hundreds of thousands of views for the same hundred bucks. And so that's the biggest mistake a lot of people make is they, they think YouTube AdSense is what's gonna make them money as a YouTuber when most of you, it's gonna be something else until you can get brand deals. And that will come much later because you should focus on growing the audience instead of trying to cash in. But if you are gonna grow the audience and grow loyalty, you're better off with memberships, donations, merchandise, freelancing, and affiliate marketing, um, and maybe making your own digital product than you are with AdSense and it's not even close. And then later AdSense can become meaningful. Uh, for me, AdSense pays taxes. <laughs> and biggest potential revenue stream for most of you will probably be brand deals, but it'll probably not be relevant early in your career. It'll be relevant later in your career. Um, if you can get a loyal audience to buy for you from you, you're going to be able to negotiate better brand deals. If you can get an audience to buy from you personally, you have leverage improving your salesmanship to get brand deals. And the same thing with affiliate marketing. But creators sleep on it because they don't want to feel salesy. And yet at the same time, they're then supposed to figure out how to sell themselves to a brand. It's counterintuitive. If you can't sell yourself to an audience, how are you going to sell yourself to a brand? So that's the thing is uh, creators worship AdSense and are reluctant to build a real business around their channel from the beginning and to have the idea from the very beginning of how they're going to monetize outside of YouTube AdSense. They get so hung up on that and so hung up on meeting the monetization requirements that doesn't occur to them that they can be profitable before that and that it will help them later in their career. So that's a big one. Um, and I would say that, um, so yeah, the monetization piece, becoming a faster editor and really understanding that you have to make content people want to watch and understanding what that is and understanding that what you want to make. So I can, I can sum up this, uh, I can sum up this easy lesson. Number one, what you want to make will not always be what people want to watch. So that's lesson. Number one, I'm going to teach you three lessons for everybody before they start. This is actually pretty good for a video later. Three lessons for every new content creator. Number one, what you want to make will not always be what other people want to watch. So guess what? Get over yourself and make what people want to watch if you want a career. If you want a hobby, make what you want. If you want a career, make what other people want to watch. Number two, become a faster editor as quickly as possible. Become a faster editor as quickly as possible. Put all of your energy into becoming a faster editor. Number three, monetization. Understand that monetization is more than AdSense now and later. And so figure out uh, more practical ways to monetize in your niche than AdSense. So those are probably the three things that everybody should know before they start a YouTube channel. You know, what you want to make is not what people want to watch, not all the time. So make what people want to watch or make what you want to make, but don't complain either way. <laughs> you know, um, learn to be a faster editor, 
and learn how to properly monetize beyond AdSense and the platform. Platform giveth and platform taketh away. But if you have a relationship with the audience, then the it's harder for the platform to take away. And so, yeah, so I think that's a great place to bookmark it and to end today's episode. I want to thank the live audience. The live audience can stay tuned for the after hours of the show. And as for the audio listeners, make sure that you are leaving us a review in Apple as well as Spotify. We really do appreciate it. Make sure you're checking out our sponsors and resources in the show notes and description. And we'll catch you next time. Um, Live audience, stay tuned for the after hours. This episode has ended, but your creative journey continues. Visit createsomethingawesometoday.com and access all links and resources mentioned in today's show, all designed to help you create something awesome today.